Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. My name's Zach, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Andres. But no Somnus week, Andres. Very, very interesting. The absence, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, a little sad. He had been in good form after a few patchy performances in the fall coming in and out of the squad. We thought we had fixed that issue, but... Hopefully he'll be back with us uh, post-Brighton. Let's hope so. Um, so anyways, as I was, as I, ah, as I was saying, uh, we do have two episodes this week for you guys. So me and Andres, uh, in this show, we're actually going to break down our top six predictions for the season. We're going to give you a bunch of background information on what the other uh, big six teams have been doing in a transfer window, if they've been doing anything at all. And then uh, at the end of it, we'll kind of give our predictions, and uh, I'm sure Chelsea will be at the top of the table in both of them. Right, Andres? Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Wink, wink. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess there's no other place to start than um, the current title holder is Liverpool. Um, man, that sucks saying it out loud. It doesn't get any easier, but... Um, I mean, I, I guess we got to kind of get used to it. So Liverpool last season, in case you've all been living under a rock, title winners in 2019-2020 uh, season. They won it pretty comfortably, 18 points clear at the top of the table. Um, some, things to note, uh, some things to note about Liverpool. Um, they are the highest scoring team in the Premier League. They scored 85 goals last season. And they also, or I'm sorry, the second highest scoring team in the Premier League last season. Um, but they do have the best defensive record, only 33 goals against in 38 matches, which is uh, pretty damn good, if you ask me. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll get right to it. Salah, Firmino, Mane, they're all staying. I don't think any of those guys are yeah. going anywhere. Um, Andres, do any of your insiders say any, say otherwise? <laughs> COVID economy says they're staying. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all you got. So... Um, they did. They've had a pretty quiet window um, so far. I, I, you know, they have been linked to a couple uh, high-quality players, um, but they've uh, only one that we stole. One that we did steal, um, but there is still one that is out there that we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but I want to start off with this Greek dude, Andres uh, Konstantinos Simikas. Yep. Uh, 24-year-old left back from Olympiakos. Uh, they brought him in on a on a just about 12 million pound fee, 11.7. Um, as I said, he's a fully fledged Greek international, left footed, um, a position that Liverpool did definitely need cover, and I don't think that's something that anybody uh, would argue against. Um, but just a little background on his playing style and what he what he kind of offers. Um, he he loves carrying the ball forward. Um, he led Olympiakos in uh, forward ball progressions last season. Now, just to give you an idea of that metric, it does include both passing and dribbling. Um, defensively, he did well in Greece, but there are some questions. Um, of course, when you do make the jump to the Premier League, the Greek League is not the greatest, um, but only time will tell. So um, in terms of playing style, it's it's very similar to Andy Robertson, crosses, overlapping runs, Um very unlikely that we'll see him take over the starting role. I think he's injured right now, if I'm not mistaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, this is the guy they got across the line. Uh, the background of the story was they wanted Jamal Lewis from Norwich, um, and uh, he already agreed to deal with Newcastle, which I think was a smarter movie to get more playing time. But Andres, what do you think about this uh, Konstantinos Simikas um, and, and, and him moving to Liverpool? Yeah, I don't know much about the guy, but I do know that Liverpool 
when it comes to scouting guys for cheap, it typically works out for them. I mean, Robertson himself wasn't a marquee signing, and look where he is now. So, to me, they needed a backup left back. A guy coming from Greece is not going to complain about playing time. Uh, as long as he can put in a decent cross, that's basically all Liverpool do to create chances. So, if that's what they're asking of him and he's decent at that, I, I, I'm sure he'll he'll fit right in as a backup to Robertson. I guess I, I guess what I was trying to say was it seems like sort of an underwhelming signing for Liverpool. Like since they brought in um, the likes of Van Dyke and Allison, mm-hmm. uh, Fabinho, um, a couple big name signings there. This one looks a little impacted by COVID, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know if I'd say impacted by COVID. I think. I think it's naive of Klopp to think that his starting 11 can't get better. And yeah. I think he's trying to be a a people-pleasing manager with the guys that earned him a Champions League and a Premier League mm-hmm. uh, trophy. So to me, again, it's naive to go for a guy that's strictly going to be a backup. I yeah. think that because they couldn't get Jamal Lewis, who could potentially grow into a starter, you're right. They did settle here. I, I call bullshit on, on the COVID thing because Liverpool should have plenty of funds. After they just won the league. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. to me, yeah, it's, it's underwhelming. It's something that's going to keep, their, again, Robertson happy. The guy, uh, Timikas, is not going to complain either. So it's just a um, 5 out of 10 in my book. No, nothing spectacular. No, like just Just another guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's what it looks like to me too. Nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to waste any more time talking about him. Um, <laughs> so another player that is not necessarily a new signing, but someone that came back and someone that might be able to integrate himself in the squad, maybe for some cut matches, is Harry Wilson. He's back from loan uh, from Bournemouth last season. Um, the guy's a set piece wizard. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, and I think he's, you know, someone that Klopp might look to for those cup matches. But um, again, I don't want to waste any time talking about uh, someone that's not going to be very important for them this I season. I hope he gets right, loaned out again. Yeah, I just hope he gets loaned out because I think the kid, he's got like fight in him. And yeah. unlike Tamikas, I don't see this guy just sitting in a bench and playing maybe like a handful of games from the from starting position, rather than going to maybe like an Aston Villa or, or a team that could use him and use him frequently. Yeah, or he can continue to develop because yeah, I, I highly rate Harry Wilson and and I think he should go somewhere where he can play. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I wasn't necessarily knocking the guy. I I think he's quality, but in this Liverpool side, it's kind of hard to see where he goes or where he fits um, regularly, at least. Um, but anyways, we'll, we'll move on to the uh, the transfers out this season. So the guys that left Liverpool, my favorite Liverpool player, Dejan Lovren, left. Um, that was sarcasm. In case I know you were wondering. Um, but the self-proclaimed world's best center back uh, has transferred to Zenit for 10.8 million pounds. So he leaves Liverpool to go to another top club. Right, Andres? I mean, he, already, he is obviously the world's best center back because he's already won a trophy at Zenit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Technically, he has, huh? It's, it but, was all um, him. It was all Dejan Lovren. <laughs> he was the only one that did anything. Uh, just like uh, what he said about his performances for Croatia in the World Cup. But anyways, uh, fuck that guy. Um, Adam Lallana uh, leaves Liverpool. 
Um, his contract ran out, so there was no transfer fee involved. It was a free transfer. He moved over to Brighton, which I think that could be a useful signing for them um, in the long run. Definitely serviceable. Yeah. And he's already started both of their friendlies, so I think mm. that he is going to be a key member for Brighton. Yeah. Brighton showed us that they're solid enough to stay in the Premier League, and it looks like they've strengthened. So I, yeah. I like a healthy Lalana at Brighton. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a good signing on their part. And on a free, it's it's a good signing. Um, so Nathaniel Klein also leaving Liverpool. Um, he became a free agent, and as of today, he is currently unsigned, which is interesting. Um, I mean, the guy's been – I feel like he's been more hurt than even playing the past two or three seasons. So I'm not yeah. surprised one bit that, you know, what he's pushing he's, – he's getting a little older. He probably would demand a decent wage. So I think pull? it'll be a while. Yeah. What if he's pulling a Danny Rose? Like he's waiting for Milan and Man City to call, and then only Newcastle and Bournemouth are standing there <laughs> waiting for him. I don't know if he's as big of a dickhead, dickhead as Danny Rose is. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this guy kind of looks himself in the mirror and takes a, a mid to lower table side contract and gets back on the pitch. Because again, I can't remember the last time I saw him dressed and ready to play on a Saturday. Yeah, me neither. Um, so what are we going to expect from Liverpool when the window shuts? Um, so, so far there's been two really big rumors that have been circling Liverpool, and I think we've all seen them in one way, shape, or form. The first one is uh, Barcelona being linked with Gini Wijnaldum. Um, so we all know Robert, uh, Robert Ronald Koeman uh, is now the manager of Barcelona, um, and uh, he's looking to bring in some Dutch blood. I know he's been linked with Depay. Um, now he's being linked with Wijnaldum. It looks like he, he needs an engine. linked with midfield. Van de Beek as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So... I mean, they're talking a price range, a price range between 18 and 25 million pounds. My question for you is, for that price, does it make sense to Liverpool? A hundred percent. Only with a second step caveat. If they mm-hmm. use this money to pay for the guy that you were kind of holding out on, and in Thiago Alcantara. So yeah, that's the only reason this would make sense because Liverpool's midfield three has been just Three workhorses that make Mane, Salah, and Firmino's life easier. But if you're going to replace a 29-year-old who's a workhorse with one that is the best potentially creative midfielder in the world at this time, you can. that's an upgrade in my book. Because, you again, they have the best defense in, in the league, so you're not giving up too much. And on the other side, I don't know if there's ever a bigger price tag that you can pull for Wijnaldum. Yeah, for the price, it makes sense. And considering that they're going to turn around and only add another, what, 7 to 10 million to pull off Tiago, it's a no-brainer. Um, so moving on to Tiago, Liverpool have been in talks with Bayern Munich. It's no secret. Um, from what I understand, Andres, Tiago hasn't been training with Bayern, correct? Uh, well, he was in international duty. He has not returned to mm-hmm. Germany at this point for their, like, post-international duty COVID testing. So yeah. he's you doing the the American route and potentially holding out of training right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, Bayern, Bayern are very tough to negotiate with. Um, obviously, the player only has one year left on his contract. That's why the money is so little, in case you guys are wondering. Um, but, but they're holding out for 30. So my take on this, Andres, is it's scary because this is the perfect signing for Liverpool. 
Um, they're already kind of established themselves as arguably the best counterattacking side in the world. And now teams are starting to sit in on them and compress the midfield and defensive lines. They're basically making it really difficult for Liverpool to play the, to play the way they want to. I think a guy like Thiago gives them the ability to pick the locks in those situations, um, especially with those 10-man back lines. You know, he has a vision to pick out easy passes um, and control the tempo of the game, but he can also play in a little more advanced role, like you said, where he is a little bit more creative, and he does find the seams and pick those locks. So if this signing happens, it's a scary sight for the rest of the league. Um, but one that I'm going to keep a close eye on, because like you said, Andres, they're swapping, you know, one of their main engines in their midfield for someone that doesn't have the same work rate, but offers you more in an attacking sense, in a tactical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, if Klopp pulls this off and if Liverpool pull off this deal, I still think Klopp has a lot of work to do to kind of integrate him to play the way he wants. But this is scary. The, to me, out of all the names that have been linked with all the other top clubs, this is the one that frightens me the most. I got to be honest with you. Well, yeah, and, and you kind of alluded to it. Let's be real. Liverpool is a one-dimensional team as to how they create chances. And this is not a knock to them because they're really good at it. They play wide. They're outside wingers tuck in. And you have Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold pumping in crosses for 90 minutes. That's their formula. And it works. But people are finding them out. I mean... We beat them in the FA Cup with a B team side. We, minus a Kepa, could have potentially beat them post restart. I'm pretty sure. Atletico figured them out in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, they, they just very the bus. underwhelming Atletico handled them in the in the Champions League. So yeah, mm-hmm. the teams are figuring it out, and Thiago takes them and allows them to have a separate dimension because you're not only going to create through the outside. You mentioned Thiago can find the the through pass up the middle, or he can just create it himself with dribbling. Again, Tiago's fantastic, but Tiago's also injury prone. Mm-hmm. That's, That's the a- one thing that like can be our saving grace in a weird and kind of twisted way. But mm-hmm. I unfortunately see this move happening because Kuman is going to need guys that can trust him at Barcelona from the beginning. Otherwise that situation could get ugly quickly. So I see that move happening, and worse comes to worse, Liverpool will just have to wait till January to get Thiago. Like the Thiago to Liverpool move will happen, because Bayern is not going to budge from the 30 million. So if it doesn't happen now, it'll happen in January, and if it doesn't happen in January, he comes on a free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I do want to move on. Uh, we should talk about the team that finished second last season. So we'll move on to Manchester yeah. City. Um. So they finished second in the league last season, 81 points. Um, famously, they had their uh, European ban overturned, and they did nothing wrong but still got fined £10 million. Pounds. Um, not too sure how that works out. Um, but for about three days, Manchester City would have been the runaway favorites for this season um, until Leo Messi obviously made his decision to stay at Barcelona. Um, so, I mean, I guess we could get Messi out of the conversation thank the lord he's not coming to the premier league as they would have as, run away with it as as much fun as it would have been to kind of watch him every week um good lord it would Messi it, to man city you want to talk about terror 
Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about terrifying. Like, like I know I mentioned Tiago was the scariest transfer, but that's like the scariest realistic one. Ever, before that, it was Messi. Before I saw that interview, it was definitely the Messi deal. Um, absolutely massive news. But uh, Messi decided to stay, so Manchester City, unfortunately, they, they, they have to stick with De Bruyne as their uh, main source of creativity. Boo-hoo. Um, yeah, what an issue. The, the reigning <laughs> player of the year, who is now, like, angry as hell as how the season ended, is your one source for creativity. What a problem. Yeah, it sucks. Um, but uh, let's let's just get right into the transfers out first. Uh, because I think there's definitely some notable names in there that are going to change the way City play this season. Um, as expected, uh, David Silva did leave Man City, um, and he did Lazio very, very dirty, giving him a verbal commitment and pulling the old switcheroo for uh, Sociedad in Spain. Um, so he's out of Man City as of now. Uh, Leroy Sané finally got his move to Bayern, uh, about 45.7 million euros plus add-ons. Um they really missed out on this, didn't they? Because if they if if they sold him in January, they would have got way more money for him, right? Yeah, had he gone in January, it would have been seventy five million, and had they sold him last summer, he would have gone for ninety million. So Bayern was willing to pay ninety million for an injured player. Pep, for some reason, wanted to keep him around. Didn't use him whatsoever. Then COVID happened, so he only got to play something like thirty five minutes for Man City post restart, and they got him for half the value. That they could have initially sold him for. Bayern does some good fucking business, man. Good things happen to those who wait. Yeah, it does. Um, also, uh, Angelino, uh, the left back who was on loan at Leipzig last season. If you guys uh, don't recognize the name, uh, he was the bald dude on the left-hand side uh, for Leipzig. <laughs> He's really good, basically. Um, but he returned... Uh, to Leipzig after a season-long loan there. And reportedly there is a buyout clause, no word yet on the amount. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm assuming as long as Pep's the manager, they're not going to be entertaining that. I mean, it's it's just crazy to me because left back at, at City continues to be a question mark. And And this guy was one of the better names on the list, if you ask me, just based on his performances from last season, at least. Right. Like, yeah, I know Joao Cancelo played better, but... Outside of Cancelo, Mendy doesn't look the same. And how much longer are you going to play Zinchenko out of position? Yeah, exactly. Before he becomes an actual left back. Right. Um, but transfers in this season, um, two very notable ones. Nathan Ake finally got a move away from Bournemouth. Um, we did not take the bait. So that's good. Uh, but Man City gets them off for 42 million euros here. Um this is interesting because they went after a left-footed center back. Um, I know they play Laporte at left back sometimes. I know Ake could even play out there. But I'm interested to see if Pep is actually intending to use him there. Well, so my take on it is City at some point uses the inverted fullbacks to where they don't overlap the wingers. What they do is they sit at essentially a def- they create a second line of defense ahead of your two center backs. So – the left back and the right back, in this case, Kyle Walker, and then if Ake plays there, would be Ake on the left, Kyle Walker on the right, and then Rodri stays deep on, if you you know, a, a possession side like City, pushing the ball wide and forward in the final third, almost has a flat line of five, 
when the two attacking eights for them kind of overlap the front three. But then you you secure yourself defensively by having a line of three and then a line of two with your center backs. So if that's what Pep is trying to do, that could help him solidify the defense because that seemed to be the one issue they had early in the season when Laporta went down on injury. So yeah, that could be what he's trying to do. But at the same time, he's also had Joao Cancelo play better there, a more traditional attacking fullback, yeah. athletic, makes the runs. So maybe he's just adding a little bit of versatility to the position, or he's just going to be an expensive backup to Laporta. Only Man City would drop $42 million on a backup. Only Man City consistently drops over $40 million on their back line. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, Man City also made another signing to replace Leroy Sané. They brought in a, a guy named Fer- Ferran Torres from Valencia, uh, roughly around 23 million euros. Um, Andres, I don't know, mu- know much about this kid, um, but I do know that he's highly touted in Spain. Um, and he's already a starter for the national team under uh, Luis Enrique. And he scored for Spain uh, this past week as well. So This is, this is going to be an interesting signing. He, he's, I mean, he's going to be back up to Mars and Sterling, like, yeah. and potentially, I mean, yeah, and potentially Foden, depending on where Foden ends up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess we got to talk about this guy. Um, we both wanted him at Chelsea. Sam didn't. Uh, but City are still <sighs> in pursuit of Napoli's Kaladu Koulibaly to partner him beside Emmerich Laporte. Um, long story short. Uh, the relationship between Man City and Napoli is very strained uh, because of the Jorginho deal and Chelsea hijacking it. Um, so De Laurentiis went out in public and said, for the right price, Kaladu Koulibaly will leave. Uh, that price range is reportedly between 70 and 75 million euros, um, which I think is fair considering the current climate and right. considering that you're also buying arguably the best center back on the market. Um, so regardless of his age, I hate that debate because because you, City could easily get four or five years out of him. Um, this one scares me too, if I'm going to put it very, very bluntly. And I think this is the type of partner that Emerick Laporte would thrive next to um, just because uh, he's an organizer and, and he keeps his shit in order in the back line. And Man City at times last season were definitely missing out. I know they had a little bit of leadership with Fernandinho back there. But they weren't getting the performances out of him. And a guy like Koulibaly coming into the side, if you're looking at a center back rotation of Koulibaly, Laporta, and Nathan Ake, that's pretty impressive. I can't look anywhere else in the league and see a stronger uh, a stronger depth chart at center back, right? Yeah. Messi signing aside, if they get Koulibaly, same, same thing in my mind as to where they would end up in the league. Yeah. Uh, that's... That's the strongest center back partnership, arguably, in world football. If you get Koulibaly and Laporta, yeah, uh, that that's up there with your Ramos and Varane combos. So that's that would be insane business. You could argue it's short term, but you can also argue you're only going to get three more years of Pep. So yeah, I think it would be quite the signing. And man, at that point everything Chelsea did this season to catch up is almost like for not. Yeah. Well, in terms of Man City, 
Um, that is pretty much all of the things that have been happening to them this uh, this window here. Um, it's, I, for me, Andres, I got to be honest, it, it seems like a matter of time, a matter of when, not if, the Koulibaly signing happens. I just think mm-hmm. uh, Man City are just trying to penny pinch here, um, which is funny because they really shouldn't be. <laughs> um, but anyways, we'll move on here. Uh, I, I want to talk about Man United. Um, so last season, they finished third on 66 points. Um, and I think we would be remiss to talk about a Manchester United transfer window without mentioning um, Jaden Sancho. Um, so Man United has been linked with him. I mean, we've seen numbers everywhere from 90 to 150 million pounds plus. 120, um, whatever, yeah. Yeah, something around there. Uh, Borussia Dortmund issued a statement last month that he is not leaving this year. Uh, Erling Holland co-signed it. Farva co-signed it as well. Um, the club is adamant that he is going to stay there for next season. Um, so very, very quiet on a transfer front for Jaden Sancho. And a low-key sleeper pick for the Bundesliga next season in uh, Borussia Dortmund. But um, let's talk about a signing that actually happened, Andres. This one's interesting. Donny van de Beek. Um, probably the most confusing signing out of any of the top six clubs this season. Uh, the Dutch midfielder joined from last week or joined last week from Ajax, reportedly for 35.1 million pounds plus add-ons. Kid's 23 years old. Um, he has a big frame, capable of carrying the ball up the pitch, uh, beating defenders, and also capable of playing off the ball as a goal-scoring midfielder as well. Um, so his numbers last season, uh, they don't necessarily pop out of the stat sheet. But uh, let me assure you, he's one of those players that does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. So uh, eight goals, five assists total last season in uh, Eredivisie um, over in uh, the Netherlands. How does this make you feel, Andres? Because for me, it makes me feel some type of way. <laughs> so my my reasoning behind this is at 23 years old, if you're going to leave Ajax, they must have told you something about your playing time. And... Initially, my thought is, okay, well, he has if, – if Man U keeps their 4-2-3-1, that means he's either going to have to split time with Bruno or, or Pogba because he's not a six. Donny van de Beek is not a defensive stalwart that's going to line up alongside those other two guys and protect your back four. That's not his skill set. And if you do line up that way, then get ready to see Maguire get turned eight times a game. So my thinking now is maybe United is going to switch their formation. And maybe it has to do with the fact that Sancho's not coming. With Sancho not coming, you don't have a world-class right winger. So why not? And again, this is all hypothetical and, and why this would only make sense in my head is why not switch to a 4-4-2 diamond? You have Bruno still at the 10. You have Pogba and Van de Beek at eights, and you have any pick your pick your poison between Matic, McTominay, and Fred as your DM. Martial and Rashford up top, maybe lined up slightly wider so that Bruno can drift into the middle, and then Juan Bissaka and Luke Shaw are just gonna have to play your your role of of completely running up and down the flanks. That's the only thing that would make any sense for someone as talented as Donny van de Beek to say, yeah, I'll go to United because I cannot see a guy who was a starter for the past three, four seasons at Ajax, a good Ajax side, play second fiddle. 
I knew this is a guy that Man United would be interested in. I mean, the quality of player he is, you would assume that a club of Man United size would be in for him, right? Um, but you would also think that they might be looking at different areas of the pitch to strengthen, especially after they signed Bruno. Um, this feels like a panic buy to me, Andres. Um, I feel like they missed out on plan A and Jaden Sancho, and they needed to get their marquee signing across the line because of a lot of pressure from the fans. Um, and to be honest, I have no idea where the hell he's going to play or if he's even going to start. It's like you said, it's hard to see him leaving Ajax um, without guarantees of playing time. Um, but I'm looking at the squad, and he fulfills a lot of the same roles that Pugba does. A lot of the same roles that Bruno Fernandez does. I don't know where he's going to play. And, and and like you said, the 4-4-2 diamond is the only logical answer to that. Um, but at the same time, do you really want, you know, Pogba getting exposed into wide areas, you know, with no protection from a winger in front of him? Um, you could say the same about Van de Beek as well. You know, I won't see him – I won't be too surprised to see Man United stick with a 4-2-3-1 like Solskjaer has been playing. And um, Van de Beek being rotated in that front three, um, or actually I should say that midfield three of, um, you know, Rashford on the left, and you, usually Bruno in the middle, and then take your pick on the right. I think he could definitely rotate there, um, and that's the only place I really see him playing. You know, he is versatile. Like, he could play on the wings. And if anybody knows anything about football or the 4-3-3 at Ajax, they preach every position. You don't grow up as a center back, as a left back, as a midfielder. You grow up as a football player, and you play total football. So yeah. I'm not worried about him being versatile and, and filling in in different spots of the team and different areas of the attack. But the question is, where does that leave your other players? So I have a theory. Donny van de Beek is the long-term replacement for Paul Pugba. I think this is going to be his last season at Manchester United, especially if they don't win anything. It's a project that's been long overdue. They need to cut ties with it. And I think if the club needs to move forward, they need to get rid of Pugba. It's, uh, I, I hope Ron Sun's listening um, because I know he's a Man United fan. But, I mean, that, that's just my opinion here. But anyways. Um, uh, I mean, in terms of van de Beek playing in the front three, then that's a disservice – to Van de Beek and to Greenwood. Yes, he's versatile, but like it's the Premier League. Like you need the pace and, and all that from your wingers. And he, I, I could argue that, you know, Pogba and Van de Beek would get plenty of cover from Luke Shaw, Juan Bissaka, and whoever the DM is, because those three guys won't be asked to go up as much. You know what I mean? Like at that yeah. point, you have an attack, a fluid attack of five players in Pogba, Bruno, Van de Beek, Rashford, and Martial. But unless you're going to do four four two diamond, that, that's you what have I'm saying. To put him in the front three, yeah. Yeah. Do you though? Because he can play the eight as in part of the double pivot if Pogba's not on the side. And and I just think like, I mean, if anything, you maybe slide Bruno to the side. I think Van de Beek is is all around the box. Like, he is in or around the box. And, and I, I think, again, it's a disservice to stick him out wide. As yeah. well as he would not agree to come to United to not play somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. And he doesn't look like, yeah, Ajax is more than willing to sell players for the right price. But at the same time, they're not going to screw over their players who have been there since they're six years old. Exactly. They make sure that these guys go to the right place and for the right reasons. And so, 
The only thing, unless Solskjaer is dumb enough to play all three of them in a 4-2-3-1, I have to think that he or might be thinking, or even a 4-3-3, I'm thinking that there's got to be, maybe he's thinking, okay, Mar- Martial, Rashford, and Greenwood splitting time in my front two makes way more sense than depending on only Greenwood as my right wing in a 4-2-3-1. They've kind of been all over the spectrum now in terms of who they've been linked with this summer. And then, you know, Van de Beek's name comes up and then the deal is basically done. Um, It's interesting. I don't know. Uh, But I want to move on. I want to talk about their goalkeeper situation because I think that's the most, you know, uh, glaring issue that Man United has to address this season. Or it's not necessarily – it's a good issue to have actually, but – um dean henderson we all know him from sheffield last season he lit the premier league on fire um back from his loan uh he did not re-sign with sheffield there was rumors that he was going to re-up with them and it never uh it never materialized so um yeah. we we go on and on about his shot stopping yeah. and had the highest uh range of expected goals versus actually goals allowed in the premier league yeah see there you go i mean there's a reason why he was one of the highest-rated keepers of the 1920 season. Where does this leave David de Gea? Because to me, um, you know, you you have a situation where you have, I, I believe he's the highest-paid player in the league, if I'm not correct. I know he's the highest-paid goalkeeper, um, but it seems similar to the Courtois Czech situation when Courtois came back from loan from Atletico. Is this sort of a passing of the guard situation? Or is this um, Solskjaer maybe putting uh, David De Gea to the test after a few sketchy performances last year? Yeah, I think this is going to bite United in the ass because I think De Gea is going to perform just fine. And then you're just going to lose Henderson. He's not going to – he'll come here. He'll think that he's going to get time. De Gea is going to wake up, play well, and guess what? Henderson's going to ask for a transfer. Like he is not going to go back out on loan. Because De Gea is 29. He's got at least six years in goal. At least. If I'm Man United, I move David De Gea on. Who's going to take De Gea on? I mean, if if you could get someone to take him on. You, you do your best to move him. I think you at least try. But I think that's option number one. Best case scenario, you move on David De Gea. You leave Dean Henderson there. Right, but the, I, it, uh, let, let me try to find my words here. So De Gea... Six Realist- years left. Dean Real- Henderson, he would be easier to move for a higher value. And within six years, United has the resources to find their next Dean Henderson. I, I guess we could agree to disagree. I just really hate David De Gea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, transfer rumors for Man United – where are they going to be looking to improve this season? I think it's obvious. They've been in the market for a left back. Um, the only one that they've really been linked to seriously has been Porto's Alex Telles, uh, around the 40 million pound range. Um, we did a little scouting report for him uh, earlier guy, on in this poor season. Poor guy can't leave. Can't find yeah. a way to leave Portugal. I know. He already cried on the pitch for the last time, like three separate occasions. So, um, But yeah, we'll, we'll see if that one happens for them. Um, there's also been talk about them going back in for Jaden Sancho, but uh, I think that's unlikely. And, and and frankly, I think it would be silly for them to do that at this point. I think they would just swing and miss and embarrass themselves. I think they're going to do it. I think this one's going to ride out for a while. Fabrizio mentioned that personal terms are agreed. 
but they've it's been, up to United they've, to get they've the under agreed. 20. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that United's going to spend. And the more I look at Sancho's underlying numbers, the more I think that he could potentially be a bust. And that sounds ridiculous, but he scored 17. It's something like 17 goals and 18 assists last season. But if you look at the amount of shots and the amount of crosses and passes it took him to get to those numbers, I don't think defenses in the Premier League will allow him that many chances or space or time to achieve that. So I don't know. It could be maybe I'm being cynical because he's not going to to Chelsea per se, but something tells me United that if you, could expect, have him. Uh, uh, if you could expect Chancho to do that at United, I think you're severely mistaken. I'll take Kai Havertz over Jaden Sancho. Fuck the world. Um, United are still in a market for a center back, Andres. Um, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Lindelof is probably not the long-term solution next to Harry Maguire. They were linked with Kaladu Koulibaly for a while. That deal obviously didn't happen. Um, they, they've, they're still linked with uh, Doyo Apumacano from RB Leipzig. He just re-upped with them as well. So I know mm-hmm. his uh, his release clause is somewhere in the region of, what, 60 million pounds, was it? At um, least. Something five, like that. New five-year deal. I think he's the best young center back on the market, and I think United should go all out for them if they're looking at the, for their best interests. But deep down inside, the blue blood is telling me no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't want them getting another center back in that situation. Um, but anyways, we can move on here. Um Let's talk about some of the teams that were on the periphery last year. Our two favorite teams to hate, Andres. We'll start <laughs> with the one that I – actually, I, I hate them both equally, but um, we'll start with Arsenal. Um, they finished the back half of the season under the club legend Mikel Arteta, um, Pep's understudy at Man City for the last few seasons prior. Arsenal finished in eighth place with a total of 56 points in the 2019-2020 season. They beat Chelsea in the FA Cup, as we all remember. I don't want to talk about that. But um, even those – and they won a community shield against Liverpool more recently. But even those two pieces of silverware, uh, they're still yet to confirm that Aubameyang has extended his contract with the club. So this situation is interesting. Aubameyang has gone out in public and pulled a Willian and said, put the contract in front of me and I'll sign it. And Arsenal have turned around and said, we have put the contract in front of you. You didn't agree to the terms. <laughs> um, so it, it's laughable. It definitely is something to laugh at. Um, where do you see Aubameyang winding up, Andres? You know, if if I'm Arsenal, even at his age, you got to pay the guy whatever he wants. He's staying at Arsenal. He's going to make them sweat. I think he has a good friend potentially in Mesut Ozil who did something similar, and he, homeboy is loving the bench and getting paid something like 300-plus thousand a week i don't think obama yang's that type of player though i think that's a guy that actually wants to get out and play football but again we are in a market where nobody can really afford him Mm -hmm. or potentially look to take a one or two season risk on a player that they're barely going to be able to afford i think that arsenal is a club that will let him have three or four years rather than one or two nobody's going to love him immediately the way they love him there and Honestly, at this point, no pressure on his side. Like, he literally gets to go out play, and if he balls out, maybe he gets a move elsewhere. But if he doesn't, nobody's going to blink an eye in our, at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, 
on the uh, on the transfers out uh, the transfers out front, Andres. No real news here. Um, Arsenal didn't really lose any big big players, um, but news did come out earlier today, I believe, about David Luiz. He has a neck injury, which is interesting. But I know huh. he's going to be out for the foreseeable. Um, so uh, in terms of transfers, in no, I think I think Arsenal have had a pretty decent window considering the money they spent. Um, they signed Willian on a free, as we know, uh, but they gave him a stupid ass contract, a three plus one. Um, and uh, they also signed Gabriel from uh, the center back from Lille uh, mm-hmm. for a reported 24 and a half million euros plus add-ons. So, um, you know, we remember them bringing in William Saliba last season in January. They loaned him back out to his parent club, Saint Etienne. Um, but now he's finally completed his transfer. He's an Arsenal player, along with Gabriel. This is a center back pairing that Arsenal's gonna try to ride it out with. That's what it looks like, huh? I mean, yeah, it should be one for the future, but uh, if if at this point Louise is hurt, uh, this might be your best bet. Um, both guys are Why, uh, wh- highly rated. Gabriel left-footed, Saliba on the right side. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, they might have to put in the two young guys in who don't have Premier League experience. Well, I saw really good news the for the. I saw good news for the rest of the league. Uh, Mikel Arteta is planning on starting uh, Rob Holding at center back for the first game of the season. So that might work I out. I did see that. They might favor. stick to the 3-4-3 then. Yeah, possibly. Well, I know Gabriel won't be available for that game for okay. whatever reason. Um, Probably so they, too soon. So it might be out of necessity, yeah. Um, but anyways, um, I just lost my place here in the script. Uh, I do want to talk about the uh, transfer rumors for Arsenal because there are a couple interesting ones here. So the biggest one is the Hector Bellerin saga. Um, Arsenal were planning on selling uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, uh, their uh, youth product, and right back to Southampton. Um, and apparently that deal fell through because he got called up to the England squad and balled out. <laughs> so Bellerin is basically on the market now. Arsenal are looking at a Cedric as uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles' long-term backup. Um, PSG has seemed to be the only club that showed real interest in Bellerin. I know, you know, Barcelona, there's been mentions, um, but nothing concrete. So interesting to see what happens with him. Andres, we know he had his knee injury. He doesn't look like the same player, does he? Yeah, he's definitely lost a step or two. It's, it's weird because I think that Arsenal fans actually really like Bellerin. So, I mean, the guy, the guy is good. He, I think the pace was the the one thing that really differentiated him. And yeah. without that, it might, he might not succeed as much. Yeah. I think if he sold, even if that helps them fund other moves, I think that this one's gonna hurt Arsenal fans. Yeah, I think it will, and I think it'll hurt them in the long term. You know, Ainsley Maitland Niles is not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. Um. But, yeah, like you said, it, you get the sense that Bellerin's big in a dressing room. So that, that that could be a move that could potentially have a negative effect. Um, PSG are also uh, in for uh, Matteo Guendouzi. Um, I guess they want more people that foul uncontrollably on their squad. Uh, so <laughs> Ander Herrera is not enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, apparently they want to use Draxler as a sweetener in the deal. Um, that would be great if that happened. I, I think Draxler is sort of a bust, sort of overrated. Um, but <laughs> look, in the long term, is this really an upgrade if Arsenal pulls this one off? I mean, I, I think that 
it would. The thing with Draxler, I think, is that he should have never gone to PSG to begin with, because after, him. yeah, he was getting all the playing time in the Bundesliga. the The sky was the limit at that point, and then he stopped playing. I think that Arsenal is in in. They definitely need a creative player. They don't have that in their midfield yeah. at all. It doesn't exist. You don't expect Xhaka to do that. You're not going to expect... Uh, who's the little Uruguayan guy that they thought was the new Conte? Oh, Lucas Torreira. Thank you, Torreira. I still rate him. I have no idea why he's not getting in the side. That's I'm the most sure. baffling one to me. Because I remember when Arsenal picked him up, especially after watching him in the World Cup, I'm like, man, like, I think they have a player on their hands. But uh, in, they, in they never... have... They have Ceballos back on loan another year, but again, that's a loan. He's not there full time. So you could potentially give up Genduzi to get Draxler, and it's like a win, quote unquote, a win win, but it's not a big win. Yeah. Well, goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez, he wants a bigger role in the club. So I guess he's willing to move. I don't really want Aston to talk Villa, about him. Aston Villa being linked to him. Oh. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I can see that happening actually. Um, but uh, the in terms of bigger names, Andres, um, there's one that's not on a script here, but is in the same range as the Thomas Partey supposed deal that Arsenal is looking to to get across the line. Atletico is holding out for 50 million. Um, Arsenal just don't have the funds for that. And um, now today, all of a sudden, a report comes out that Arsenal is interested in Hussein Awar. From uh, Lyon, who is an absolute I did, gem yeah. of a footballer, but Lyon wants 60 million. So I don't see how that deal is realistic by any stretch. I think if Arsenal really had the funds for Partey, they would have snatched him up by now because that's such a glaring weakness in their side. And, um, and he was willing to go there too. He was. He was. And honestly, I I just don't see this one happening. I mean, Alward. Howard at Arsenal would be really good for them. That one would low-key scare me. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I hope it doesn't happen unless they, they do find a new home for Bellerin. I mean, they can probably get add up, you know, it's in bits of money by selling players like uh, their their Greek Greek oh, center Socrates. back. Socrates Papastadopoulos or whatever, however you say that. Um, get, like, Mustafi. You can yeah. also sell Mustafi. You can also, like I said, Bellerin gets you at least 20 more million. Uh, maybe if they get Lacassette off to Lyon or Marseille, I mean, maybe that can help you out. But you would have to be selling a lot of players at that point to yeah. get uh, Awar or Party. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the big issue for Arsenal is uh, creativity in the final third last season. Um, sort of lackluster. You know, they brought in Nicolas Pepe, a 72 million pound fee. Um, the guy's flashy, but he doesn't put up numbers. Five goals and six assists. Um, it's only his first season, so, you know, and, and he's young. Um, so he, he could turn it around. Um, but I think I think the biggest glaring issue, Andres, is that back line. So we talked about their two center backs. They seem to figure that out. It looks like they're sticking with Maitland and Niles at right back and Kieran Tierney at left back. It's going to be an interesting season for them. Um, but I got to be honest with you, they don't—they don't necessarily—they—they uh, they don't scare me too much. I—I I don't know, man. It—it it just depends. I mean, the transfer tar- the transfers can still happen. 
they now have Willian to play on the left side, which is a preferred side. So now you can strictly play Aubameyang up front. If they can get their midfield situation figured out, even if they play back three or back four, that includes David Luiz, that's already a huge improvement on last season. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing scarier than like a team that has like full hope and belief. And right now they just took out prop, what I believe they finished their season and started the Community Shield season this time, taking out the three best teams in England. So you never know. Well, I'm done talking about Arsenal, Andres. Um, <laughs> and I want and I want to get through this next team really quick. Um, Tottenham. Um, Watch all or nothing. Boom. That's it. That's our review yeah. on Tottenham. Everybody, thank you for seeing our top six. <laughs> it should be called All or Nothing Jose Mourinho, um, but it, it, it is All or Nothing Tottenham. But uh, they did finish the nineteen twenty uh, the nineteen twenty nineteen twenty twenty season uh, six in the table. Jose is definitely aiming for a top four spot this season. Um, so they did they did make a couple a uh, couple moves early on in the window. Um, First one, and I think it's probably the most important one for them. They finally found a right back. Uh, they picked up Matt Daugherty from Wolves. He's a right wing back. He loves to get up and down the pitch. His motor is absolutely ridiculous, and he is a typical Mourinho signing in the sense that the guy is used to the tactical counter counterattacking Portuguese way, um, and he has a goal in him as well. Um, so at face value for 15 million pounds, this is an upgrade on REA. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's funny because speaking of all or nothing, Matt Doherty is specifically one player that Mourinho points out when uh, discussing Wolves. And so, yeah, obviously he had his eye on him before. I don't know how going from right wing back to right back will go for the guy, but it seems like Mourinho had him handpicked. Yeah. The next one that's uh, pretty important is uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Uh, from Southampton. He's usually good for one banger a season. Uh, 14.9 million pound deal. Box to box mid. He's in, he's very imposing physically. Pretty decent on the ball. Um, school of Bayern Munich, of course. But I, I, I think for me, Andres, this signing kind of highlights Spurs' finances at the moment. Um, you know, we're going to get the Lacelso in a second because they made that deal official also, but they still haven't found that Ericsson replacement. I don't even know if Hoiberg is a, or Erickson replacement, though. If anything, I think he's an upgrade to, to Harry Winks and potentially Sissoko. Sissoko, who's never even healthy enough. So I actually rate this signing um, for for them, which I hate to say, but I think it is an improvement for their, their double pivot because we know Mourinho is most likely going to stick to his typical 4-2-3-1. So... Yeah, I actually yes, he's not going to score you the goals, but I think he's he's a good player to have at the base of your midfield. Uh, next one, I mentioned it a little earlier, Giovanni Lacelso. He was there last season on loan, uh, but uh, he joined on a 24 million pound deal, permanent deal, I should say, from Real Betis. Um, an attacking mid, Mourinho seemed to like him late on in the season. Are we going to see more from him? as time goes on, or do you think he looks more like a finished product? Uh, Lo Celso? Yeah. I think his future or full potential is going to depend on the performances or availability of Dele Ali. So I think Ali's still your go-to guy in the middle. Yes, Lo Celso can cover 
for Son or for Bergeron out wide. But again, that is not where his talents should be used. Um, he was kind of a spark plug for Tottenham at times when they looked like they needed uh, just something out of nothing. But based on the fact that Mourinho would prefer to win a game 1-0 over 3-2, to unless Dele Alli's in poor form, Lo Celso's has got an uphill climb. Yeah. The next signing, Andres, is my most favorite signing I've seen in the whole transfer window so far. Joe fucking Hart joins Tottenham Hotspur and Jose Mourinho, making Kepa officially the second worst keeper in the league now. This is exciting <laughs> for Chelsea fans. This is a great signing for Chelsea fans. That um, they got a third keeper? <laughs> <laughs> he's probably never going to play. Um, no. But uh, anyways, that's all we can say about Joe Hart. Um, in terms of departures, Kyle Walker-Peters uh, went to Southampton. Um, I guess that was a prearranged agreement um, with the Hoiberg deal. Meh. Um, yeah. Jan, but I think a more important one would be the Jan Vertonghen departure. He went to Benfica of all places. Benfica is low-key stacked for next season <laughs> in terms of the Portuguese league. Um, but this is interesting. I mean, he's been there for the better part of the last decade. He's He's clearly one of their emotional leaders and one of their captains. For Spurs standards, he's probably a club legend, and I mean that in a sense that he hasn't won much, but he's been there long enough to be called a legend. Um, I think this one could hurt him. I mean, yeah, big locker room presence has been starting there for the past four or five years, and you're replacing him technically with Eric Dyer, who has come out to say that he's going to be playing center back moving forward, so... I yeah, this one kind of stings because they just didn't sign anybody else. Yes, yeah. you have your, your the young guy Tenganga, but he played only a handful of games, so you still don't even know how consistent he can be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was odd to just see that. I guess because we don't really care for Spurs news, we don't know how big of an impact his leaving really had. But it just seems like this was a quiet one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of covers the whole top six, Andres. I think uh, we can have an honorable mention. Shout out to Everton, <laughs> Loki bringing back. Uh, Ancelotti's going to bring back to 4-3-3. I'm actually excited to watch him this season. Uh, um, that'll be interesting. But uh, in terms of your top six predictions, let's start from number six. Andres, who do you have as number six? And then I'll go. Spurs. And that's a tentative Spurs. And if Everton can click, that'll be a tough one. I have Arsenal down there. I think Spurs' front line is a little good, um, a little too good. Um, what about fifth? I got Arsenal there. Mm. So I have Arsenal I ahead Spurs. of Spurs, but I don't, I don't know how big of that gap that is, is really gonna be. Like from fifth, from fifth to like eighth is gonna be quite the race. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I got Spurs in fifth. Um, next up, uh, number four, Andres. Who do you have? I've got Manchester United. Nice. I I agree. I think Man United's going to finish in fourth. Um, they have enough to finish top four. I think it was, I think they'll do it pretty comfortably too. Um, but in terms of a title chase, I think that's out of the question this year, unless something unforeseen happens. Uh, number three. I okay. So this this decision comes down to whether or not Thiago Alcantara comes. Mm. To me, at least, if Thiago comes, I still think Liverpool will edge Chelsea for second place. So, again, based on Thiago Alcantara, you can flip my second and third place. I think that deal will get done. So I'll just go ahead and say Chelsea is third. But I think, again, 
second and third, there shouldn't be much of a gap in terms of total points. I got Liverpool in third, even if they get Thiago Alcantara. Okay. Um, and the reason being, I think Man City is going to pull off the Koulibaly deal. And once they do that, they're going to be way too good um, in terms of being well-rounded, finally, mm-hmm. after four years of Pep being there. Uh, but number two, um, Andres, this is where me and you are kind of, I mean, we've been in agreement pretty much the whole way here. But number one and two seems to be split between Chelsea and Man City. So what's your heart telling you and what's your gut telling you? No, well, my heart's telling me that Chelsea can get second. My gut's telling me that it might be third place. I I have been saying, regardless of our, our amazing window, that Man City's going to be coming back angry. Koulibaly or not, I still think Man City's coming out and they're going to be pummeling people into the freaking ground. Yeah. I've never seen Kevin De Bruyne be pissed the way he was after – the Let way the last season ended. Let me talk. <laughs> well, not, that one was embarrassing. I was going for more just like his quotes after they got eliminated from the Champions League. Yeah. Um, Pep is still around. There's no ban. So he's still looking for at least the Champions League trophy without Leo Messi on his side. I think that Aguero's coming back healthy. Yes, Laporta is missing the first couple of weeks, but his long absence is the only reason I think Liverpool actually was able to pull off such a big gap. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, something tells me that City is, is not taking – like, they're coming and, and they're going to kill people. And I just think that Chelsea, while we love all the signings we have and everyone coming, I, that's going to take a little bit of time to to connect to make it the final product. So I think we will be beating these good teams and obviously beating the, the bad ones, but we will have our stinker here and there, not as consistently as usual. So I, th- I think City – they won't run away with the league, but I think they'll comfortably win the league. I'm going to agree. I think I think City are the favorites. But Andres, I don't think Chelsea just has the potential to finish second. I think we have the potential to finish first, man. We're going to score a shit ton of goals this year. I I mean, I, I th- hope so. We already created plenty of chances. We just could have put it in the back of the net. But well, now yeah. we, got a, we got a 25-plus goal-a-season striker. We got a striker coming off the bench that scored 15 goals last season in the league. I mean, things are looking pretty good. Kai Havertz, <laughs> Ziyech, Pulisic. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting carried away. But um, for those of you that are still listening, that does kind of bring us to the end of our top six predictions here. Um, Andres, me and you kind of agreed more than usual today. Um, it's weird not having <laughs> Psalm here, but I guess that was the case. But if you guys are still listening, make sure you check out uh, part two of uh, this week's uh, episodes. We are dropping two pods. This one is we'll about the top six. We'll actually talk about Chelsea. Yes, and our next show, we will be talking about our 2021 season um, and also giving a, giving a little uh, Brighton preview. So make sure you guys check that out. And then until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.